I unusually have given myself a title for this morning. Uh, it's still a sort of a selection of pieces put together, but um, it's Do You Love Me? From New Key to Asbury. Let me explain. So, um, I've been sharing this week in a number of places that I've been struck by the Welsh Revival, which took place in 1904 into 1905. And it started in a place called Newquay, um, which is in the Cardigan Coast. Okay, so, um, Welsh Revival, Newquay and Cardigan Coast. And let me just read a little bit from Michael Green's book. Um, Okay, Joseph Jenkins was leading the meeting and the first time he launched this was on the 14th of February 1904. There was a long silence. Then Florrie Evans, who was a 16-year-old, broke out. I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. And this was a catalyst for an amazing time of blessing among the young people of Newquay in which two other young women, Maud Davis and May Phillips, were set ablaze spiritually. Person after person then rose to profess wholehearted surrender to Christ. One eyewitness in that youth meeting wrote, it was the beginning of the visible manifestation of the Spirit breaking out in life streams, which afterwards would touch thousands. News of this remarkable youth meeting spread widely in the vicinity and led to young people testifying in other churches. And the original trio of Florrie Evans, Moore Davis and May Phillips were all influential later in the revival. It just broke out. The Lord broke in. It is wonderful. Now, you may know about Asbury, which is in Wilmore in Kentucky. It's a Methodist college, and they had a chapel meeting about three, four weeks ago, and it's still going on now. <laughs> and I've listened to the talk is online. The last of the talk in that 10 o'clock um, chapel service is online, and the speaker, I don't know who he was, it was somebody from the faculty, um, opened with these lines. He said, turn to your neighbour and say, do you love me? Go on then. Turn to your neighbour and say, <laughs> if you don't have a neighbour, find one. Now, for the avoidance of doubt, there are four words for love in Greek. Okay? One of them is eros. That's not what we're talking about. Okay? That's outside of the service, if that's where you're at. And we're not talking about storge or filio. Filio is, is sort of brotherly love, and storge is family love. We're talking about agape, which is that self-sacrificial love that we see perfected on the cross as Jesus gave his life for us. It is the love of God, and that's what we're talking about today, agape. Um, and the Welsh revival was famous for many hymns, but one in particular, <clears throat> and it's this one. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, where the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? 
Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Aren't they beautiful words? I did think about asking Sue to, that we could sing it today, but that's fine. I think it works as a poet. Maybe Easter Sunday. Kissed a guilty world in love. And love is one of these words that um, we've lost the meaning for. And I want to really concentrate on what agape love really means, the love that God has for us. Florrie Evans said, I love the Lord with all my heart. And that's because she was touched by the agape love of God, which we cannot, words cannot describe. But Paul tried. If you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, before I read this, it's a very familiar passage. You may have come across it in all sorts of places, not least in weddings and indeed in funerals. Because we choose it because it describes love. And of course, weddings are about love. And at a funeral, we might need want to remember the, the loving nature of the person who has died. And on one level, that is fine. On another level, actually, it doesn't work. And I remember when it occurred to me exactly what Paul was talking about here. And I was outside St. Mary's, which was um, the church that both Lisa and I went to at one point or another. It was my sending church, as they call it. And it was a nice summer's day. And uh, Hannah, my daughter, was doing um, Girls' Brigade. And I was there to pick her up. And I sat on the bench outside, and I just read 1 Corinthians 13. And it struck me, this is all about the love of God. This, is an, this can merely be an aspiration for us because we are broken human beings in this life. But this is the perfect love of God that he pours out on his people. And now I will show the most excellent way if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and of not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, then can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Each time that word is agape. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. There's somewhere in the Bible where it's described that God forgets our sin. He has, as somebody described it once, a big forgettery. <laughs> the once he's forgiven our sins, he throws it in the forgettery. He won't bring them back again. That's what we do. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. 
It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That is agape, the love that God has for us, never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. That is our love. But when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then, when he comes again, we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is agape. That is Paul's best shot at describing this love and even he doesn't manage to capture it because it is so incredible, immense, beyond our understanding just how much he loves us and the way in which he loves us. The way in which he loved us was he sent his son to die on the cross that those who believe will not perish and have eternal life. The love of God is beyond words. Now if we could turn to um, just over the page to 1 Corinthians 14 and Paul is talking about order in worship and he's talking about tongues and don't display with tongues but instead um, prophesy you know he likes wants lots of prophecy don't worry about that tongue stuff that's just showing off his word uh, my words not his <coughs> But if we pick up 1 Corinthians 14 at verse um, 24, uh, uh, 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say you're out of your mind? That's the showing off bit. But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, hearing from God and speaking the encouragement of God, to God's people he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and he will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship God exclaiming God is really among you now why bring those two passages together Well, I was watching The Lord of the Rings last night. I've set myself that five-hour target, or whatever it is. I've never watched them all the way to the end. I've watched the first one. I haven't got beyond that. I've read the books many years ago. Um, So I'm watching Lord of the Rings. I watched the first hour. They haven't got very far, but (laughs) don't want to spoil the story for anyone, if you don't know. but. But it's that bit where Bilbo is just about to leave. He's got the ring of power. Uh, which, of course, is a very, very dangerous thing. And he's about to leave, and he knows he has to leave this ring with Gandalf. Gandalf, of course, doesn't want to touch it because he doesn't want the temptation. Um, and he can't bring himself to do it. If you, if you know the movie, you'll know the scene. And he, he, he wants to hold on to the ring, and he gets really anxious, and then he gets really angry with Gandalf. that he would, It's my precious, he says, and Gandalf says it's been called that and by somebody else, which of course was Gollum. 
who got completely consumed by this evil. And all the way up to then, the relationship between Bilbo and, and Gandalf, the wizard, has been very friendly and jokey and light and, you know, talking about serious things, but also always very, very much on that kind of one-to-one -one kind of basis. But Gandalf can see the danger here. And so in the cinematics, what happens is that he seems to get bigger. He's already twice the size of the Hobbit. He gets, seems to get bigger, and then the lighting goes dark grey, and his, his demeanour gets very powerful and overpowering of this angry little hobbit who's coming back to him. And I can't remember the exact words he used, but he basically says, you have to get, let go of this ring. And in the face of this power and this rebuke that he gets from Gandalf, Bilbo snaps out of it. He takes the ring and he puts it into the envelope. And as soon as that moment ends... Gandalf kind of shrinks slightly, he's still taller, and the lights come up, and the lightness in the relationship comes again. Gandalf loved Bilbo with an agape love, with a sacrificial love. But he couldn't have Bilbo doing this evil thing, and so he had to change the way in which the relationship happened. Now, that's an allegory for the wrath of God because God cannot have us in an evil place. And that is, the wrath of God is a, a form of God's agape love for us because the evil that he's rebuking separates us from him. And so when we look at that agape love, it is fluffy in places, it's also extremely firm and hard because God loves us so much he can't leave us in that place. Does that make sense? And that's why I brought these two passages together. You've got Paul's attempt to explain what agape love is, patient, kind, and all these lovely things but in ways which are way beyond anything that we, we can achieve in this life. But it's also that those who are separated from him, when they hear the prophecy and encouragement of God through the words, through the mouths of people of, of God, will be convicted of their sin and they will want to be part of that agape love. It's both and, it's not either or. It is a beautiful beautiful thing and Sue could I say you chose that first song which is my conversion song that's the first time I'll be able to get to the end of it because <laughs> it always cracks me up that idea be, about being surrounded by this incredible love that God has for us and anything I could say cannot do it justice because it's bigger than that but he loves you So having started by saying, do you love me? That Asprey sermon ended with an invitation to the Holy Spirit to fall and for the love of God to be poured out that everyone in that room would experience it in a new way. And they're still doing it today.
and that was over a month ago. I'd like to invite us all just to put our hands out and whatever is in our minds when we hear these words and we think about the love of God, just will say, come Holy Spirit, come Lord Jesus, let your glory fall in this place. Let us experience your love in a new way. We see through a glass darkly, so we, we can't get fathom the depth of all of your love. But Lord, give us more. Give us more today. Give us more of your love. Here is love, vast as the ocean. Loving kindness is a flood. Lord, flood this place. Flood our hearts. Fill us. Fill us with your love. Where the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? who can cease to sing his praise. He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. This is forever. God doesn't run out of anything, least of all his love. He's got so much to give us, so much to pour out on us. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains opened and they're deep and they're wide through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above so it's not just once it's a constant flow of his love for us. He died for you. For some here you might need to say that. Lord Jesus died for me. In your hearts. incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love
can almost see each and every one of you just getting a little peck on the cheek. Because you're guilty. You're sinners, as am I. But he died that we would be redeemed from that. He sent his spirit that we would be convicted of that. And that we would receive him into ourselves. And through that be transformed, become a new creation. And that is the first fruits. It is the deposit. It is the guarantee of the fullness which is to come. And that is when he comes again to make all things new. Kiss the guilty world in love.